You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to episode 27 of the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I'm joined by two talented co-hosts today, so I will let them introduce themselves. Well, I am Mindy Carney. I'm a regular co-host on this wonderful podcast, and with us is... And I'm Beth Swance, and I am uh, happy to be uh, with you. I am another digital learning consultant at Grant Wood. We are happy to have you here today, Beth. It's been a goal of ours to have you back on the podcast for some time after we've had you for little bits here and there. You've made guest appearances before, but... uh, You're an official co-host today. I hope that responsibility is not too weighty on your shoulders. Well, I'll do the best I can, hoping I can uphold my end of this trio. Well, we're going to start our episode today with a hot topic, which we haven't done for a while, but we thought since there were three of us, it would be um, kind of a fun discussion. And so our hot topic discussion for today is online privacy and how do we feel about online privacy? Is it something we... Um, should care deeply about what are we willing to give up with our online privacy for the ease of use um, who wants to start with their feelings today I'm um, sure well I can kick this off if you like because I kind of uh, mooted this as a possible topic for today and it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently and just came up again in the news Recently, or at least in the tech news, when there's a there's a service called Unroll.me, which I signed up for maybe two years ago. And what it does is you sign it up, you authorize it to have a look at your email inbox, and it gives you a whole list of newsletter services that you subscribe to at some point and lets you unsubscribe to the ones that you want to with just one click. So normally you have to like, you know, find the link in the bottom of the email, click unsubscribe, then put your email in and choose the newsletters you don't want to subscribe to anymore. It makes it all very easy. And with like just by checking multiple boxes, you can unroll from all these subscriptions. And I thought, yeah, that's great. I I need this in my life because my inbox is getting overflowed. Well, it turns out that sometime, I don't know when, but uh, this company was acquired by another company which is a data analytics company, and uh, they're now using the data that they find in my inbox and your inbox and everybody else's inbox to um, sell to other companies who are looking to learn more about their customers. So, I don't know, things like that are coming up more and more frequently. I I feel burned, and I was talking to Beth this morning, and I think Beth feels burned as well because she just signed up for that, but I think we've both gone in now and deleted our accounts, so... I don't know. What do you think, Beth? Well, unfortunately, I had just gotten an email from Unroll Me, um, like within the last week. And I thought, oh, yeah, I need to use this again and get rid of some of my subscriptions. So I had gone through and I had unsubscribed to a whole bunch of stuff. And then I saw on Twitter that they were selling my info. So I went in and deleted my account. But I had just used it. So I'm sure I'm one of those people who my information is everywhere now. I mean, not like it hasn't been before. I am not very private online, I feel like. I sign up for all kinds of things. Um, but I I also unsubscribe quite frequently to things that are in my inbox. 
Um, and I don't know. I have had very, I've been very fortunate. Um, I haven't had any problems, which I think is really interesting because like my in-laws who don't do anything online, they've had their credit card number taken at least twice. Um, that I, I don't know. I, I feel like almost the more you use, sometimes you're better off than those who use it infrequently. Well, and some of it is not necessarily that they're getting hacked, but that the companies that have that information, their credit card information, whatever, are getting hacked. So it's not just about our personal online privacy, but it's about hackers and viruses and other things within, you know, our global community that, I mean, a lot of those, a lot of times we don't have control over that. That's all about, you know, those companies and how secure they are as well. That's really true. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we're living in this, uh, we're living in the post-Snowden age now. So I, I watched the Snowden movie recently because these kinds of things do interest yeah. me. And I think there has to come a time now where we're as individuals, as educators, as teachers, as citizens of the world now, that you have to draw the line in the sand somewhere. And that for certain things, you know that things are going on in the background and people are collecting data about you and selling that to other people. And for certain services, you're going to have to say, yeah, okay, that's fine. So for things like Twitter, I say, all right, I know you are doing this. Go for it. Because for me, the trade-off is, you know, the value proposition I get from Twitter. And the same is, I'm going to say the same is for Amazon. I know I do a lot of shopping at Amazon. I, I have Amazon Prime, so I watch a lot of TV with Amazon. Amazon must have a fairly healthy uh, trove of information on me. So I let these guys go and I say, all right, I'm willing to accept that. But I draw the line with other things, um, at least my personal life. I don't. I, I try not to use Google services as, as much as I can. I, I use Google Apps for Education at work and no problem with that. But I don't use Google Search. I don't use Google Docs or things like that in my personal life. Just that's one of the places I draw the line. So are there places you guys draw the line or are you very open to, I'll take it, the trade-off is fine? I Personally, my, my decision is I'll take it, the trade-off is fine. My, 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 and so my concern for myself is, you know, I, I'm making those choices and I feel like I have thought about it and I'm okay with that. My concern is the fact that we're now setting our students up and we kind of are making their decisions for them in some of these ways. And that does kind of um, make, me ha- make me pause sometimes. Like we're really creating a path that says they haven't owned their data because Google already has it. Yeah, we shouldn't be putting our values necessarily upon students when they're still growing up and learning and having to think about that decision themselves. It feels like... You know, we need to think about the role model that we're setting for, for those kids. If we're just blatantly signing up for everything, yeah, saying, yeah, it'll be fine, and they see us doing that, then they'll probably do the same thing. I, I, the interesting part to me is um, I, I trust Google, and I, my conversation with people is, um, oh, yeah, I use Google for everything, but they can't trust them with their pictures. Like they don't oh, trust yeah. that they're actually up there in the cloud in the Google Photos. Like they'll give away their everything else that they'll do online, but handing over their family photos to that service is like, this is where I just really don't, I'm not sure about, which I think is a really interesting commentary. Like, what is it it about your photo? 
That is interesting, you know, because, I mean, there's places you can go where, I mean, you can, uh, people with Google phones will say, okay, Google, you can log into your Google account and you can play back every recorded request that you said, okay, Google to. Google records your voice and it keeps all those requests and it sees all those things. When you use Google Maps, you can look online and you can see Google will track and show you everywhere you have driven in your car with Google Maps. But Google Photos, too much, eh? So, yeah, that's interesting. I know when we put an Amazon Echo into our house, we had a pretty huge discussion about it before we put it in, um, mostly because we know that it listens sometimes because that's the point of the Amazon Echo. Um, and we really kind of thought about it too. Like what if it turns on and it's listening to our conversations and is listening for, Hey, I bought so-and-so at the store today. And one of the keywords that it listens for is this specific product. Or what if it's listening to the commercials in the background and what are we listening to? And then it's analyzing what stations we're on and, um, things like that. And, and then when, and Wiley, I think you and I both did this at the same time. We found this, uh, something on Twitter. Someone's like, Amazon Echo is recording everything you're saying. And so we could go back yep. and play, like you had said with OK Google, you could play all of the requests that you ever made. And actually one of those, um, that had something to do then with a murder case, right? Wasn't there a murder case that was solved or something because the Amazon Echo is recording what you're saying? And, um, I don't know that that to me is really an invasion of privacy. And I, I mean, we chose to put the Echo in our, in our house. And I mean, we usually just use it. The kids use it more than we do, probably, except that we, we request music and things like that. But I don't know to have the idea of someone actually listening in on your conversations and collecting that data. I don't know that that is still a hard sell for me. Like I still look at Alexa and I think I'm on to you, Alexa. I know what you're doing. Um, but at the same time, it really improves our online experience and helps us find things quicker or, you know, gets to know us a little bit better. And so I just, I don't know, I, I'm still up in the air about a lot of things. And, and we were talking about this too, about how, um, we have a grocery store here in town and I, we just received a bunch of coupons and they are all the items that we usually purchase. There wasn't a thing on there that isn't usually on our grocery list. Yeah, which is great for us because we look at it and we're like, oh, great. You know, now we've got coupons for these specific items that um, we purchased there. But at the same time, it's like someone's always watching. And um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I said this to you guys before, but, you know, we got the same sheet of coupons as well. But the, the kicker for us was that we don't buy all those products at that store, which means somewhere they got data on our buying habits from other stores. So yeah, there's a right. lot of stuff going out there. Credit card companies are selling our data. You know, I I think it's almost impossible to ignore. You would have to be a hermit and live off the grid and have no online contact in order to avoid all of this. So mm -hmm. somewhere there's a sliding scale that we have to put our comfort level on. And I don't know, maybe that will just adjust over time. Well, I think the other thing is this kind of a conversation. Like you actually need to think about what it is you're doing and make a decision, not let the, the um, device make the decision for you. And I think that's the conversation that needs to happen yeah. with our students. Like yeah. we need to help them continue to have this privacy idea evolve for them. Like what does it mean for you? And instead we just sort of ignore it, I think. I feel like it could be a good part for digital citizenship conversations and, you know, just letting kids know the kind of practices or the trade-offs that they are making. You know, there's the old adage that um, if you're not paying for the product, 
you are the product. And I think that's as true as anything these days. I mean, how many new ed tech services do you sign up for and try and they're free? And then after a while, they're freemium or they are free for different reasons. And, you know, you got to look at privacy policies. And I know nobody likes to read those. And they're hard to read just because they're written by lawyers and stuff like that. But just educate You do. Kids. Let's be serious. You do. I'd read them. I'm not going to say I always understand them, but I do read them. Um, yeah, right. That's just it, too. They're not necessarily always that clear. Yeah, they're written by lawyers. And I think sometimes they're written like that on purpose to maybe avoid people from uh, or put yeah. people off reading them. Yeah. Well, and I think it, I mean, all of these pieces come together. We also, we were talking about fair use today. And, you know, we, we each kind of have a different idea of what that means. And I think that privacy is the very same thing, that it, it is a sliding scale and it's just getting harder and harder to opt out in, in that it's probably going to continue. I mean, I, you know, I love all the things that I can do because I'm connected. I love that my banking is right through my phone, but is that always the best? I don't know. I mean, I just, I think it's an interesting conversation. Yeah, and it's one that's probably not going to be solved today. Okay, so up next is our main course, Serve to You, Piping Hot. We're going to, that's why we brought Beth in today because she is our blended learning expert on the team. And so we're going to talk a little bit about blended learning. So thank you once again, Beth, for coming on and um, sharing with us what you know. Um, and hopefully give some of those teachers out there an insight of this really, really hot topic right now as far as blended learning. Everybody's talking about it. So um, to kind of start, what's what's your elevator speech for blended learning? What would you tell us if we didn't know anything about it? Um, so in my perspective, blended learning is a blend of instruction. It has some technology. It has You use data. And all those three things built to move, you mix them together, you blend those together. And um, it really the goal of it is a student-centered learning experience that leads to personalization for student content. So um, it is not just technology, which I think is a misnomer. It is not an online course that we're doing. Instead, there needs to be face-to-face -face teaching that is integrated with online learning component, and that online learning um, is a way to group students so that the teacher can more tailor make the instruction to their own needs. And just to clarify, I guess, when we're talking about that online learning part, where sometimes we, the connotation in our head is that that is done outside of the classroom, but blended learning could be outside of the classroom, it could be inside the classroom, it could be you know a combination of the two. Right, absolutely. It it just the the biggest difference is um, I see it as the online learning component is not necessarily that you're going to start with level one in whatever this textbook online company is, and you, the student's just going to work through it. It has a lot more to do with um, finding some adaptable online options that actually tailor you can work the student can work at their skill needs instead of just arbitrarily doing it all which i think is interesting because we've been talking about differentiation for so long in education i mean that has been a discussion that's um been ongoing and 
What I think I understand about blended learning is that it just is kind of making that easier for teachers and allowing them to drill down even more specifically to what students need. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Um, the, the, the idea that uh, when I was just at a conference last week, and one of the things that um, the speaker said is that every student walks into your classroom with their own individualized learning plan because each student learns differently. Uh -huh. And we as teachers have been taught to teach to the middle of all of those plans, which means that we are losing a lot of our students right. because we're not building on what they need or we're not allowing them to move ahead. And so this is really a way to um, build on what their own each individual student needs. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have 25 plans for 25 students because students still, they need the, the skills that they need often they can you can group like that these kids all need this specific skill. So you would do some direct instruction with that um, skill needs. So if teachers were, you know, thinking about blended learning, I mean, it's something that's hard to avoid in terms of online conversations and seeing things on social media. You know, is there a, a good place for people to start? Is there like, a, I don't know, a rubric for are you ready to start? You know, what's 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 the beginning phases of people who are, looking at getting started with blended learning? Blended learning is a philosophy, and there's a lot of different um, processes that go into that philosophy. But if, you, if, you, if your um, focus is student-centered learning, which means that student choice and student voice are part of the way that you do your classroom, and that really means giving them choice. It does not mean that the teacher makes all the decisions for the direction that, the, that um, students go. So there's all different levels. Like you can begin by um, with choice boards where you would start with here are the things that we're going to do this week. These three you have to do. And then I have these variety of other options. And you can do that in any classroom. It doesn't have to be a quote-unquote blended classroom. But those choice boards are a way to really start handing some of that control over to students. Because the truth is, we have taught our students very, very well how to do school. And so handing some of these decision-making back to them is not always comfortable for students either. Yeah, I read a post from, uh, I think it was A.J. Giuliani's blog, and he was talking about the game of school and how his daughter has worked out the game of school now and that she knows the hoop she has to jump through, she knows what she has to do in order to please the teacher, but uh, it's not necessarily the, the right model that we should be. My, my daughter, when she was a senior, she's in college now, but when she was a senior, um, she had a teacher that was trying a lot of different, like just really trying to build more choice into what she was doing with students. And it made my daughter very, very frustrated. She kept saying to me, I just want to know what I have to do. And I think that that whole mentality mm -hmm. is the exact opposite of what learning truly is. So we're really, I, I feel like this is a way to help build to help students understand what learning is by building on the best way they learn so yeah. they themselves know what their learning profiles are. They know how they best learn. And then you, you the teacher can, can um, build on that and use that to their advantage. Yeah, because if you think about the way that, that we learn, I mean, learning for us as adults is 
personalized or individualized because you know we search out specific things that we want to learn about and we go to specific places that we are comfortable learning from but um that's not always how we've done that with kids we standardize a lot of that and we teach to the middle and we don't give them as much choices as we have as adults so we're not really modeling the the best kind of learning model exactly and the truth is i teach the way i learn the best and so I, um, yeah, I right. learn from stories. I mean, that's like the way that it makes sense for, in my brain. And that's mm-hmm. the way I taught. Well, there's a lot of kids that don't, that's not the way they learn. They yeah. can't, they can't filter all that information out. So I think that this also is just really understanding that each person brings in something a little bit different. The other really big piece of it, I think, this was the kind of like the aha moment for me, is to really think about who's working the hardest in your classroom. And as an elementary teacher, I know there were days I worked lots harder than my students did. And in that situation, the person that's working the hardest is probably the one learning. So if your students are not needing to put very much brain power in the way they're, you're, they're doing school, they're probably they're limited in their learning. And if they're really engaged in the content and really working with the content, then they're learning. So, um, Beth, I'm kind of thinking about this. And, you know, when I first heard about blended learning was probably, oh, when did it start at Grantwood AA? Like three years ago, right? Are you going into year three? We're going into year four. Year four. Okay. So a couple years ago when um, you guys first started with this and I kind of looked at the description as far as taking the course, I'm like, you know, I'm already I'm already doing some of these things, right? But um, maybe when I look back on it and reflect on it, I can think, you know what, I wasn't quite ready for blended yet, or um, I really was thinking I was doing a lot of these things, but I wasn't. Can you tell me, like, if someone is really looking at doing blended, what are some things that they should have in place in their classroom before this even starts? So I'm thinking, like, what are some um, train stops on this track that you need to kind of take care of before you start another initiative in your classroom? Absolutely. So I really think the the very basic is standards. I think that standards work creates an avenue for this because if as a teacher I am facilitating learning for a wide variety of students, I need to know what it is that I am responsible, those students are responsible for by the end of my grade or my course. So having a really strong sense of what those concepts are. It's not that you have to get through the textbook because that doesn't lend itself to blended at all. Instead, you need to know what those concepts are or what those standards are to be able to um, get to the help students go in different paths. So that's one really big thing. Another thing, um, at this workshop I was at last week, I attended a workshop led by a teacher in Spirit Lake. And she, the, her format was, here's what I used to do. And here's what I do now, which was really enlightening. She was a very, very good first grade teacher. And she talks about all the changes she's made in her classroom since she's started walking down this blended and personalized path. And it was things like allowing students to decide who they work with and not having uh, seating assignments in the classroom. Because if students really honestly own the learning, they know they can't sit beside Johnny, their best friend, because they're going to mess around. So letting them make some of those learning decisions instead of the teacher always taking that responsibility on themselves. I mean, that was a huge aha for me. 
Yeah, and I think what's interesting as I as I listen to you about that, you know, we talk about blended learning and people are thinking about that online learning part there, but what what you're really describing here is more of a, a learning initiative than a technology initiative or like a teaching initiative, teaching and learning initiative more than more than just a absolutely. Technology I would because I truly believe that the philosophy that creates a blended classroom, technology is just a tool. And so you can do it without technology. It's not as easy, but you could do it because these kind of ideas and philosophies have much more to do with the way you interact with your students. Another thing that she did is she redid her room to have completely different seating types all around the room. And she had wiggle chairs. She had standing desks. She had um, some desks that had a, a, between the two legs, they had like a a workout, um, one of those bands that students could just kick that band as they were working. So it's, it's instead of forcing the student into the model of school, you are really creating an environment that lets that student learn. Well, and this is a huge mind shift, I think, for a lot of teachers, right? Because, I mean, think of the hours we spent looking over seating charts and all of the issues that, you know, Johnny and Sarah caused with one another. And then where can we put Sarah so that she's not talking to all of her friends, you know, or she's working hard. And I mean, think of the hours that we spent. And now we're asking our students to kind of take control of that. And that's a huge mind shift. But it's so exciting. It's so exciting to think about and to see it in action. So um, maybe, yeah, if you're a teacher right now, just take a minute to think about that. What could you do to maybe start um, you know, relinquishing some of that control because that's that's gonna that's gonna be a hard shift for everybody, I think. I agree. I completely agree. And I and I will be the first to say that there is definitely some um, distance that we need to go because standardized tests are what is like growling in the back of all of our minds. So um, what we see is that schools, students that really are embracing blended learning, their test scores continue to be what they were or go up. I mean, it really does impact it because um, students are more engaged with the learning. But that also is an incredibly scary step for a teacher who's used to control because you have to relinquish some of that control if you're going to really embrace this wholeheartedly. So um, as we think about, you know, maybe looking at that online part there, um, are there any tools or services or products that you recommend or that you're seeing people using a lot that help facilitate a blended learning classroom and help make it more successful? Because I know you said, you know, you could do it without uh, the technology, but that it would be easier with the technology. So, you know, what kind of technologies, general or specific, um, help make that easier? So I think that one really key piece is some sort of an online um I, mean, I want to call it a learning management system, but it could be a website, some place that students know that any time they can go to find the content that they need. So some way for the teacher to create an online portal for their students. And then from that space, you could connect you know, a wide variety. There are from videos, teachers creating their own videos. There's lots and lots of videos that are teaching content. Um, there's software like Play Pose It that you can stop a video and ask questions. Um, Spiral is one that we've been looking at that, that you can create a class inside of it and you can create teams and you can ask questions on videos and 
all different kinds of things that um, work with that. Those are just kind of some general use sorts of things. Um, then there's also some very specific things like actively learn, which um, you can work with text and different different levels of text and different complexity and all sorts of different options with that. And then formative assessments that um, we like Q-U-I-Z-I-Z-Z, quizzes that lets you create quizzes that students can take at school or at home. or So there's, there's kind of a whole host of software, and many of those are free or have paid content. And I think that what we're going to see, this is my prediction, um, more and more we're seeing textbook companies realize that the cost of their books is prohibitive, and as schools go one-to-one, there is less and less money for that. So um, I think we're going to see a shift to more paid tools that are um, adaptive software, tools like Front Row that has um, ways that they can adapt what the students are doing, that the teacher can get feedback from here's how Johnny did on these questions, and you can see where his skill needs are, and you can use that in the classroom to really boost those skills. All right, Beth, so you've talked a lot about um, some different tools and services and products and um, some flexible learning spaces. We're talking about those things. You know, can you tell us a little bit about some actual classrooms that you've kind of walked into? If, you know, I was to walk into a blended classroom that was doing it really well, what are some of the things I've seen, would see, or what are some things that you've seen that you um, really think are worth sharing? Absolutely. So one of the things that we talk about a lot with blended learning is called station rotation. And that is the idea that the teacher would break the lesson concept um, and the way the time is managed in the classroom into stations. Now, as an elementary teacher, stations are not that unusual. Um, But as a secondary teacher, they are unusual. So we have some tools that we have used. We have a coach from Williamsburg that has developed a planning document that has four stations and then some descriptors of ideas for things you can do. Like one of the stations is almost always direct instruction. So that's where the teacher would work with a small group of students that all need the same skill and kind of... uh, address that conversation with them. And feedback that we have is teachers have discussions in those small groups and they are having more student um, contact and more student participation than they ever had in the traditional way. Because when you're sitting there with only four students and you ask a question, that means one of those four students has to answer it. Where when you have a class of 25, you know, the person that always answers is the one that's going to do that. Another station idea would be um, some work of some sort with on an online tool. And we talked a little bit about those online tools before. A third station would be a collaborative work. And this truly is a collaborative work. This is not um, traditional group work where one person seems to do all the work and everybody else kind of watches. This is like figuring out how the students can work with this content that you're teaching in a collaborative activity. So it could be, you know, sentence sorts. It could be all all kinds of different collaboration ideas. The fourth rotation is then something with the four C's, with critical thinking, um, creativity, communication, and maybe a collaboration. So some way that students are working with the content, but in those four areas. And then the students would rotate through those. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, there would be a timer, and everybody would rotate at the same time. And this rotation could last over a couple days, 
or it could be in one class period. Uh, as you, teachers work through and are in the blended philosophy longer, then it moves to students move as they need to move. So if you have a student that really needs to hear the direct instruction a couple times, they can do that. They can just stay at that, that station mm-hmm. longer. Mm-hmm. So that's like one, one way that I have seen it work. Um, we, I, mm-hmm. I was in a classroom where uh, this was put to use, and it was a math class for elementary students. And she had moved all of her content to Canvas, was a learning management system. And the students were just really trained. They knew exactly where to go. Mm-hmm. They knew exactly what to do. She would put her groups up in the morning and um, call students to her. And it really just worked. Her, um, her rotation of students was based on what they did the day before. So she always started with the group that needed more work on that concept from the day before. So she was constantly building on those skills for each time. Um, one of the, 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 another classroom that I visited was, was using something called playlists. And playlists are um, where you have a list of activities that a student is supposed to complete in a given time frame. And they really can choose whatever whichever one of those playlists they want to do in what order. They get that whole choice is theirs. And they, um, the classroom that I was in was an at-risk middle school classroom, and they had a weekly playlist that included all of their subjects. And they could make chase choices on the pace that they were using. And there was a teacher there supporting, providing support all the time. And the principal commented to me how much less discipline calls to the office this group of students had because they were taking more control of their own learning. And then they had built into this, they had some community projects that were also part of it where the students were making their own choices on what those projects were and working collaboratively to solve some some larger problems. Well, and, you know, what you're describing to me, though, what my advice would be to teachers is it doesn't happen overnight, right? I mean, this takes some serious time and preparation and you're going to have times where you're like, oh my gosh, my students are not on task or wouldn't you agree, Beth, that people really experience some ups and downs when they first get started? Absolutely. And that's why, so our model here at, at um, Grant Wood has been, this is, we're beginning our fourth year of this uh, initiative and we have had teams of teachers from different school districts and the team would include a group of teachers and a coach and an administrator. Because one of the things that we um, recognized very early on was um, we had a couple teachers that were like alone, alone in their district doing this. And the administrator was very supportive. You go and you do whatever you need to do, but there's going to be no change in schedules, no change in money. And what we found is when the administrators were also part of this process, the conversation changed because the decision-making people at the table were different. Um, the, the TLC coaches that we've had have been incredibly supportive and helpful to scale this to different districts. Because even if you're not a teacher in the blended learning um, initiative, but I'm your coach, I might talk to you about blended learning and help you get started even if you're not officially one of the people. So the coaching has been a huge part of this process as well. And really that whole having time to talk with each other knowing that, yeah, there are days it's not working, and there are days it's really working well. I had one teacher who told me that she was gone. Um, she had the flu in, in January, and her sub was there, and it was so much easier than sub plans had ever been before because her students were working on playlists, and they knew exactly what to do, and they could keep working so she didn't lose days. And it was just a lot easier to have somebody else helping that process. 
Okay, so, I mean, you talked about uh, the blended learning initiative a little bit that we're doing here at Grantwood AA. Uh, we're coming towards the end of the school year. We're going to be running it again next year. I know I've been involved in it this year to help support you guys the best I can with it, but uh, I know you're taking the lead with this and uh, spearheading a, an, another new cohort for next year. If there was teachers listening that were interested in doing this, could you maybe give a give a pitch for it and, and help explain what's involved here? We have gone through this the process here for a couple years. This uh, so we have some ongoing teams. We have a couple school districts that have sent teams every single year, and they have sent different teams each year. So our our model really is a two year process. So we have a blended we have a beginning team cohort, and then we have an ongoing team cohort, and um, that. That ongoing team this next year is really going to focus deeper into personalization. So moving beyond just blended in the classroom to really figuring out how you can personalize for students. And that um, this year we have um, 11 school districts that have taken part in our initiative. We have 60 teachers, 25 coaches, and 20 administrators. So that's what will make up um, our continuing teams. And then um, Marsha Kish, who is uh, out of Ohio, she works with DSD Professional Development. She's going to be leading that um, cohort and really helping them understand what personalization looks like. That's new for us. So we, we meaning a group of there are um, a group of eight Grantwood consultants that uh, represent several different curricular areas, including school improvement literacy, technology, math, and science. And we work together. We call ourselves the Blended Learning Links. And we are working with districts to help them. But we're like the connection with Grant Wood. And that group of links is going to be leading the beginning teams next year. So we're going to help um, school districts that want to just start in this process and kind of explore what does this mean for for our district? What does it mean for my classroom? How do I make this um, idea work in um, my own setting. So I'm really excited about this. And we, we, um, will be providing coaching support. There'll be some, um, webinars and some ways that we'll go more in depth with coaches to really help support this process. We're really excited for you too, Beth. And I think, um, you really add a lot to that blended learning because I can sit and talk to you about it and even I get excited about it and I don't even have a classroom. So, um, I think it's really great that you're uh, kind of taking this on. And um, I will, for our Grantwood AEA um, folks, put a link into um, the link so that you could register your team for that course if you are interested in doing so. And um, hopefully you'll definitely take a look at it. I do have one more question, though, Beth. So um, summer's coming up, and I am um, a pool goer. And I'm sure lots of teachers out there take their kids to the pool over the summer. So do you have some experts or something that we could either read books at the pool this summer or people on Twitter if we're on Twitter at the pool? What are some experts out there that you would suggest that we kind of keep an eye on? So um, the conference that I referenced that I went to last week was led by Allison Zamuda, Z-M-U-D-A. And we'll put connections in the, in the show notes. Um, she really goes deeply into personalization, and she has a book that is called Students at the Center, Personalized Learning with Habits of Mind. And it really takes an interesting, um, an interesting, uh, like it furthers this idea by moving beyond standards, 
as grading, but to using habits of mind to kind of, that's what you keep track of your students. Like, are they organized? Are they thinking deeply? Are they doing things? Because standards are compliance. You have to do the standards. This is how the students put their effort into it. It's an interesting idea. Um, I would definitely recommend that book. For those just getting started in the blended learning and sort of wanting a, um, a how-to, I have two ideas for you. And one of those is... Um, it's written by Kathleen McClaskey and Barbara Bray, and um, it's called How to Personalize Learning, and it really takes you step-by-step step through the process. It goes deeply into, like, what's the difference between personalization and differentiation and individualization? And what is the teacher's role in blended? What is the student's role in blended? So it looks kind of the nitty-gritty of those things. Great, I, a great reference. And then a third person to follow and to also um, a book would be uh, Catlin Tucker. And she's written several books. And one of the ones, it's called Blended Learning in Action. It's one that I especially like. And again, she really takes it into deeper. Like what, how do you actually do this process? Um, if you, there's, there's uh, more and more and more you see blended learning on Twitter. You see it kind of, it, it's really the I don't want to say it's the buzz. I really feel like what it is, is we now have devices in students' hands. We need to change the way we do school because students have these devices. And I think that blended and personalized learning... Sing it, sister. Provides Sing it. it. Exactly. I mean, this really provides the way for that to happen. <laughs> so I think now is the time. That That's really why we're seeing this. It And it is... It's, I had a conversation with a teacher who said, but my students are doing good on, in school now. Why do I need to change? Well, I think from teachers that I've talked to that have gone through this process, it changes them, the teacher. And it changes the teacher because they get excited about their topic again because you're actually listening to what students are doing and interacting with your content. You're not just providing content. You're now looking at that content in a use way, which is different. And it, it gets teachers excited again. Yeah. All right, Beth, thank you for coming on and sharing your expertise on, on blended learning. Or, uh, we very much uh, appreciate you taking the time to do that. Are there any uh, final parting words or advice you would give to people before we move on to the next part of our podcast? Well, I think, I think my final words would be um, that when you think about a kindergartner coming into school excited about this whole learning process, and you think about a senior leaving school kind of downtrodden by this whole learning process, we need to figure out a way that kids leave our rooms as excited as those kindergartners do. And I feel like um, blended and personalized learning gives uh, an opportunity for that. I think that when we trust the students to actually learn, everything changes. All right, so on to my favorite part of the show. It's Tech Nuggets. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. who's going first? Okay, so um, I have a Chrome extension to share, which is actually, um, I believe people probably were somewhat familiar with uh, GMath, which I... Um, Never really had a use for this. I still don't really have a use for this, but I do hear a lot of teachers kind of um, who are using Chromebooks are um, 
maybe a little standoffish because they're like, well, it doesn't really work for math because there's not a touch screen. Um, there's not a great way for us to input math equations and do all those fancy symbols and functions. Um, and so now this new um, Chrome extension that kind of took over or add-on, I'm, so, I'm sorry, from GMath is now this Chrome extension. I think it's called Equajo, if I am saying it, or otherwise it's Equajio. I'm not really sure. Um, but Twitter was like blowing up about this when it first came out, um, maybe like three weeks ago. And so I'm going to give a hat tip, of course, to Alice Keeler, who is the Google guru. Um, but this um, new equation or new um, Chrome extension allows you to voice type your math. Um, and so down along like the bottom of your Google Doc, what it's going to do is allow you to um, it's going to pull in a new bar and is going to allow you to do some different things in a Google Doc with this Chrome extension that works really well for um, those higher math classes. And I can't talk much more intelligently about that because, like I said, I um, it's not really my area, but I will link to it in the show notes. And um, Alice Keeler has a couple gifts here to share and a couple um, video tutorials. But I definitely think it's something to take a look at if you're one of those um, – middle school, high school teachers that are really looking for something for math, because I think sometimes they get the short end of the stick. Yep, the tide is turning for math on Chromebooks and laptops in general, I think. So that's a good one to have. Um, I'm going to jump in with also a Chrome extension, surprisingly enough. Uh, I'm not the world's biggest user of Chrome, but I did come across this uh, service called Viewed It. Viewed It. And it is another way to create, send, or and and track video. It's a screencasting tool, and it stands out a little bit differently from other screencasting tools like um, Screencastify uh, in a number of different ways. And on one side, it doesn't let you download videos, but it does store all your videos in the cloud and kind of like a library that you can constantly get back to. It integrates with uh, Gmail so that if you're sending an email in Gmail you can click the little viewed it button and have access to all the videos and just select the one you want and attaches it to the email send it off. Uh, You can record for up to one hour which is good because a lot of these uh, services will restrict you to five or ten minutes and things like that. So just a, a kind of an, another screencasting option for Chrome or for Chromebooks. It does um, have analytics on your videos, so you can see how many times your videos have been watched, which could be interesting if you're sending a video out to all your students and you see that it was only watched 10 times because that would mean, well, 10 people or less could have watched boring. your video. I guess someone, no. <laughs> someone could have watched it uh, a few times, but uh, yeah, maybe not everybody watched it, so... It's called Viewed It. It is 100% free, um, so check it out. Hmm. I like that, that it ties into your Gmail. That's kind of fun that you can just pull in all your videos from there. I like that. Huh. All right, last but not least there, Beth. Okay, well, my tech nugget is a very simple one. It is called, Re, it is called Rewordify, and it is a website that gives you a text box, and you cut your purpose of it is to pull text from another content, like a New York Times article or some sort of um, web page. You paste it into this text box, and then you can get all these different um, ways that you can interact with the text. It'll create a 
It'll rewordify it, so it will go through and it'll make it'll simplify the text. It'll also create a vocabulary list or a word bank with a quiz. Um, it'll create some standard quizzes and some difficult quizzes. It'll also create close C L O Z E activities. So all of this kind of stuff that you can you can do with text from online sources. So um, so it's very simple. It's not. It's very simple to use. It's free, and it. Um, the, the quizzes and all those sorts of things are created when you print. So that is a hard copy. It's not going to create a digital copy of those quizzes for oh. you, which is kind of an interesting thing. But so it, it's a kind of right. a mix of an online tool and a, and a uh, print tool. Okay. So I do have one question though. And we kind of already talked about this. Uh, we had a little discussion this morning, but do you have to like cite where you got your stuff from on there or how does that work? Because you're taking content from somewhere else and pasting it in, right? If, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, it would be like, this would be like if you were a teacher and I would, I had a news a news article that I wanted all my students to read. I would not necessarily mm-hmm. cite the source. Be, well, it would be cited because it would be from that news article that's what okay. this that's what this would do so I see. All right. so you're okay. you're creating something you're creating activities from that source so i don't know that i mean i think that you okay. would need to you would cite it just because that's what they're learning the alternative way to do it i believe is you can take a website and just paste the url into rewordify and it will give you a rewordified web page on the original source um, included on it so you can uh, have that there too. So that's just a different way of looking at it too. I didn't know that. That's even, oh yeah, our webpage. Yeah. yeah, so you don't have to copy and paste a whole bunch of text. You can take the link to like the American Declaration of Independence, paste it in there, and it will bring it up on the screen for you with uh, rewordify tools to modify. So I, my tech nugget just gave back to me even more. I'm excited. The gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it is the gift that keeps on giving. I love that. That's the sauce on your nuggets. All right. So I think that's all we have time for today. Again, I'm going to say a big thank you to Beth for coming on. Thank you, Beth. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. 